You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are broadcasting you today amidst a lot of crazy things going on with the COVID and coronavirus. Um, we're back here with you uh, with a special guest. We've got Johnny Kinsley at Brickwall Blitz on Twitter is joining us today. We'll be talking about uh, some of the deep ball project he put in this year for a surprising name that ended up on the top that will be of interest to Cardinals fans. And we'll talk a little bit about DeAndre Hopkins as well as the fit of uh, Cam Newton signing with the New England Patriots on a one-year deal. Uh, before we get to our guest, uh, we've got our special guest, Johnny Touchdown, the venerable John Venerable, is joining me as always. Uh, John, how are you doing? I'm doing well. We got almost one too many Johnnies, but you, in my opinion, you could never have enough. Uh, so Blake and I are, are super excited to have Johnny on the call. His work, I think we've enjoyed uh, for the better part of the last few years on Twitter. Uh, definitely a, a must follow, but yeah, it's a little bit of a contentious time within not only the world of the NFL, but the sports world in general. So hopefully we can provide you know, a little bit of a distraction, dive into um, some analytic football, and just keep it very, um, I don't know, I don't want to say a distraction-based pod this week, but certainly some something to give everybody a break from you know, the national news outlets and, and those kind of things. So I'm excited to have Johnny on the call as well, Blake. Uh, Johnny K, if we can switch over to you, uh, talk a little bit about kind of yourself, some of your work, how you got involved with um, some of the football side, as well as perhaps even some of just looking into those analytics. The quarterback project that you worked on is very similar to one that I did when I was working for an arena team, doing a quarterback breakdown, seeing how accurate quarterbacks were, being able to even diagnose a bit of scheme from it. Uh, talk a little bit about your background there. Um. I had first started out watching or like like getting heavily heavily interested in the football like around like my my uh, my freshman year of college. I, I was I was always a fan of football. I just wasn't like a like a fanatic or like a diehard fan until that time because I was able to settle down and actually watch all the Monday night and Sunday night football games. I wasn't really able to back in high school, and uh, that eventually dwelled into what 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 became the ball project, which uh, I had start I had first started out in my junior year of college back in early 2015, just after the 2014 season. And I started that because I remembered being fascinated by pro football focused tweets about the highest graded deep passes at the time. And I decided that I wanted to make one on my own so that I could look at for no cost. So back then there weren't as many stats in the ball project as there are now. And I was using letter grades to mark quarterbacks with a plus being the highest, but it was in the second edition uh, in 2015, where I introduced accuracy percentage. Then in 2018, the shift went to that stack completely. And that brings us to Murray, Kyler Murray, a special talent in the making for my way of thinking. And obviously, I was very high in his rookie season, as shown by my many tweets on him. And he and he turns out he ranked number one in the 2019-20 deep ball project. Very rare for a rookie. And before the 2019 draft, he was my favorite quarterback prospect. 
Uh, his sensational mix of mobility, slipperiness, and a cannon for an arm, making him a great deep passer. I just didn't think that he topped my rankings in year one. But that's 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 essentially how like I've gotten from uh, my 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 interest in football um, to the deep ball project. And look, let's face it. Like, where where else are you gonna are you gonna like get a, a sport where you can watch 16 games and just watch everything? You can't get that with basketball or football or, or base. I mean, I I mean, excuse me, basketball, baseball, and hockey. But you can get that with football, watching 16 games. So you got time to watch everything. That's how I got there. Very cool. Thank That's you for great. that. Yeah, thank you for that background. And if yeah. if you're if you're cool with it, Blake, I, I want to jump right into the aforementioned Kyler Murray and your fascination with him as a player dating back to his time at Oklahoma you know Blake and I were very lukewarm initially on the Cardinals taking him because you know let's face it just hadn't been done in the modern era taking two quarterbacks in the top 10 back-to-back drafts and then the more you know tape we we watched and 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 saw you know his ability at the next level it was easy to turn the corner but talk to us about you know when you watched him for the first time what what was the kind of the it factor and then that um, evolution as a, as a rookie passer and taking such strides with, let's face it, for a lot of people, an in, in, in underrated or uh, an average to below average receiving core. I mean, talk, talk to us a little bit about your time studying Kyler as a player. Well, when I first started watching him in Oklahoma, the two things stood out to me in particular. One, obviously, his mobility, play under pressure were really things that I was fascinated by. And, like, I really thought, like, okay, this guy could execute at the next level, regardless of how short he is, regardless of how, like, he's not six feet or whatever. But, that, like, like that like that level of poise for someone who was, like, who was, like under six foot was really impressive for me, like, like let, let alone any quarterback uh, coming out of college. So that was, was something that really uh, intrigued me. And uh, second, and obviously – Obviously, like like I, I mentioned earlier, his deep passing I thought was sensational coming out of Oklahoma, and that of course translated into the NFL like immediately. And we're, we're really, really getting into it, like uh, like like this this includes uh, his uh, like final season final season in Oklahoma. I haven't really uh, watched anything, anything else besides it, but like uh, yeah, like like his, his last his last season like had like the big sample size. But anyway. His sensational mixed mobility, slipperiness, and he's got a cannon for an arm, make him a, like, a great deep passer, as I mentioned before. And I think it's wonderful considering the quality of the offensive line he played behind as he was also fantastic against both interior and edge pressure, as I mentioned before. He's really the kind of talent, I think, that makes it worth having a first overall. And he's also something that Cardinals have never really had in like, like, like maybe like, like any of our lifetimes, a long time, a long term. Yep, quarterback. absolutely. Obviously Kurt, obviously, Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer were clearly great players in Arizona, but both came into the tail end of their careers, so they didn't last longer than like five years each. Murray, on the other hand, has both the talent and the youth on his side, and something and like he's someone that could last like, like 10 to 15 years as a quarterback in Arizona, and that's really energized a young Cardinals audience that starved for one of those young franchise quarterbacks. So I, so I, I thought he was a really good rookie, very good rookie, and there isn't much that I would like to see him improve. Really, just better mechanics against pressure, better like more refined decision making, turning over the ball less. But the really, that's the same for pretty much any rookie. So it's kind of nitpicky for my part. 
Yeah, for sure. I think that's something that's really important to have into context is it's so difficult for being a rookie quarterback in the NFL. You're talking about all of these rookies who've entered the league. Um, just looking at the last decade, even since uh, since 2011, when you look at Cam Newton's rookie year and the fact that we really precedes Cam, Russ, Luck, we really hadn't gotten another rookie season, at least on the level that Murray had. And John and I, that was kind of some of the uh, the conversation that John and I wanted to, um, I guess, maybe avoid a little bit. But part of the reason why he used to be at the at Johnny football versus Johnny touchdown was because of the entire Murray decision that the Cardinals made. Uh, originally, the, of course, the, as we remember, the at ended up changing, at least from the original Johnny, uh, Johnny football, or Johnny's football, I should say. And part of the reason ultimately was that John and I went through the whole process of believing okay this is just going to be the cardinals trying to get a team to trade up they've got value they've got quarterback uh, and josh rosen who can still show room for improvement um there is at least some i guess bright spots but then through the process of breaking down the college tape it was just oh shoot like this guy is just like it was, i had a uh a uh, kind of statistical project I do each year just measures how they perform statistically against the best competition that they're going to play the toughest teams. And he just measured into such a high category as like, gosh, this is going to be like a guy who you really can't pass on because it is that difficult to find a guy who can accurately be able to hit the ball down the field at a 21 plus yard range. It's something a lot of people don't understand is when I would be running through the arena league quarterbacks and breaking them down that you're on a half size field. So if you get 20 yards or more, you're talking about, okay, at most you're on what your own goal line, you throw the ball 35 yards and that's basically their deep throw. Most of those quarterbacks end up being good because they're precision passers, but they do not have the arm strength. And we've talked a lot about with uh, players like Josh Allen, who has a big arm, but has just not been as accurate downfield versus the guy who can drop it into a bucket. The guys who are the Lux, the Russell Wilsons, essentially you get to a point where you're not really able to defend um, against a quarterback in that regard because you're not having to necessarily, you know, keep everything in front of you and force the check downs being uh, you're able to essentially stretch the field and open up all sorts of play opportunities. Uh, that was one of the things I think I thought was most interesting about your notes was um, just for how impressive Kyler was uh, against edge pressure. Uh, Kyler had a 90% accuracy rating uh, against ed edge pressure. It was a 72, I believe, um, adjusted completion that you have where it's not necessarily just what the actual completion percentage was, but more of did he throw an accurate ball that, you know, maybe Christian Kirk or someone dropped for that one that was tossed right in the bucket. Uh, he had a 90.91 accuracy percentage. For context, the next quarterback on that ranking at Kirk Cousins had it at 75%. So he was 15% higher when he has a guy coming at him off of the edge. He was able to just stand in the pocket, deliver an accurate deep ball. That's one of the most difficult things that you're able to do in the NFL. Um, so that was one of the areas where it, it's definitely, I think, impressive to be able to go over for the first season. But uh, what I thought uh, Johnny K was... This is also not like that Kyler had the most deep attempts. This was essentially a very efficient season, but the Cardinals, for whether it was the lack of an overall deep threat, struggles with their passing offense, even the shift to more of a run-first offense later, it almost felt kind of like that there's room for the Cardinals in that aspect to grow, at least a number of attempts. Yeah, I, I, I would I would probably agree with that in a sense, and um, I, I I do I do expect that to kind of increase with the receiving corps that they have this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's throwing like like may, like maybe twice as many deep attempts as he did. 
I like, granted, I like I don't know if his accuracy percentage against edge pressure is going to be as high as it was. Like we'll see, but like 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 those numbers tend to like maybe regress uh, like as like a quarterback goes along. But I still think he's going to be absolutely amazing against it. And like like I'm, like there's there's just so much room for him to grow, even like even uh, like as good as he's been against pressure, which is still scary for the rest of the NFC West. Let's let's transition quickly from Kyler to, to Cliff Kingsbury. I think he's much maligned in the national media just from having the quarterbacks that he had at primarily at Texas Tech has always been, you know, a very good play caller and been able to put points on the scoreboard, but it hasn't reflected positively for Cliff in the win loss column. Just in his first year in the NFL, you know, indirectly or directly while you were watching Kyler have success last year. You know, what did you come away objectively from your time watching Cliff Kingsbury's offense the first time around? I actually think he helped out Kyler Murray quite a bit. Um, obviously, we've obviously we've we've, uh, we've mentioned that the offensive line isn't really that good, or wasn't really that good in his rookie season. It definitely wasn't good in Josh Rosen's rookie season. But I th- I, th- I think a difference between Rosen and Murray's rookie seasons was that Kingsbury at least was able to be a little more creative as a play caller, which is something that I, f- I forget who like the previous play call for the Cardinals was, but that's not important. Um, what what Kingsbury did is 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 he get, is he put a like the perfect offense for Murray to be able to execute, and that's like that that's that's really the, like the ultimate thing like the best thing you can give your rookie quarterback. And like, it's not, it's not weapons. It's like, it's not even offensive line. It's, it's the, it's, it's the kind of offense that he's able to like thrive in that like fits his skill set. that like that, that was the thing that Bruce Arians, former Cardinals coach, former Colts coach gave uh, Andrew Luck in his rookie season. He didn't have the offensive line. He didn't really have uh, any experienced weapons and the experience once he did, were getting really old, but he had the vertical passing offense and Luck was a fantastic deep passer. So that's exactly what, uh, they gave him, and that's and that's precisely what Kingsbury has been giving Kyler Murray. There, there are there have been a lot of screen passes, as many people have pointed out, but that's that's that tends to be par for the course considering rookie quarterbacks tend to have like screen heavy offenses. But of course, over time, Murray started throwing more and more down the field, and of course, as we all know, he was quite excellent doing that. So, so from my way of thinking cliff kingsbury doesn't really didn't really have the offensive line but he had the quarterback to produce a dynamic offense and he gave him a perfect offense to enhance his skill set yeah i'm excited to be able to see because part of the reflection i had was very similar to yours when i went back and rewatched a lot of the offensive line uh, the early start to the season it was totally different from later parts you saw the lack of a game script at least really hurt especially in the panthers game um, there was a growing pain for Kyler as he had to be able to learn what he could or what he couldn't extend as far as for plays. Took eight sacks against the Panthers. Uh, going on, it was interesting because I did note that there were times that the offensive line, it felt like that there was never kind of cohesion across the line straightforward. There was always, it seemed like, one player would give up a pressure when there would be four or five-man rushes, which was the biggest area I felt like that could be improved was uh, being able to strengthen up at least a little bit either at... Uh, the interior part of the line, because 
Again, versus edge pressure, Kyler at least did great or would be able to bail the pocket, being able to have a, a window of success. When both edge guys were uh, both guys were struggling against the edge, that was often what I would see a lot of times earlier in the season. There'd be sacks and other aspects, and it did seem like Kingsbury at least was able to adjust some of that later in the season. The second area that I saw the Cardinals have issues with was the fact that they, outside of the three-touchdown game for Christian Kirk, a big deep pass to Demir Bird, and then the... Uh, the only time that season Larry Fitzgerald was used as a deep threat, uh, which I think you'd ranked as your favorite throw from Kyler Murray on the year uh, as far as for the deep throws was the uh, just perfect dime out to Fitzgerald against the Lions. There just was not a deep threat that was consistent enough on the Cardinals, and the Cardinals, I think, in their response, went out, made a trade for DeAndre Hopkins, who's been one of the most productive wide receivers since he's entered the league in 2013, especially in terms of being able to beat one-on-one coverage outside, um, and both in the red zone, which I think is at least a big boost to the Cardinals. What are some of the specifics we may see as far as how Hopkins would be used? Maybe it's different from where it is in Arizona, some of the strengths, and what would be the overall impact then on a guy like Kyler heading into year two? Well, first off, I think Hopkins, Hopkins is going to help Murray out a lot and bring a new dimension to his game that's going to make his deep ball that much better. Hop, uh, he has an unreal catch radius, and clearly, uh, as you said, Blake has no trouble separating down the field. And look, even if he can't, Murray is the kind of guy that can be trusted to buy time and keep the play alive by pulling plays like out of his behind. So he has that benefit for him. Hopkins is really, of course, the kind of wide receiver talent you should never trade. And yes, I know this has been beaten into death and hell say, saying that is a vast understatement right now, but I still can't believe the Cardinals ha- like all they had to do was just give up a second round pick and the third best running back at that point for a top five, arguably top three receiver. And uh, with Deshaun Watson in Houston, Hopkins had like finally had a great quarterback to throw in the ball after years of trash, like throwing him in Arizona. I have great faith that, uh, that Murray will become a great quarterback as well. He's the kind of receiver that can give you video game numbers. And though I don't expect like 50 touchdowns from Murray with hot, with, uh, with Hopkins, especially with the offensive line, not looking particularly amazing, but I think about 3,600, 4,000 yards and 26 to 30 touchdowns is perfectly reasonable or at least, or at least like a, like, like, like the bar that Murray can certainly uh, go over. Hell, Murray like had four thousand plus yards passing and rushing combined in his rookie season, so I can't see why he, why he wouldn't have a top, with a top five receiver at his side. And um, with with Hopkins, I think like he he's de- he's definitely getting a great vertical receiver, someone that can someone can actually ball out on contested catches, very good route runner. Pr- pretty much one of the best vertical threats in football and that's going to bring out the best with a quarterback that's already proven to be sensational throwing a deep pass yeah johnny let's stick with the wide receiver core because i think it's it's safe to say we know what we're going to get from hopkins uh to some degree there might be a small learning curve as he gets you know accustomed to cliff kingsbury's scheme especially in our in our current landscape of limited off-season work and then of course larry fitzgerald's year to year it's going to be consistent give you somewhere between seven, 800 yards receiving. Let's talk about some of the other options that they have in the receiving core. It's a, it's a core that they've invested a fair amount of draft capital in. I, I think a lot of people, including myself's biggest breakout candidate a year ago, was former second-round receiver Christian Kirk, who's entering now what could be a pivotal year three. Um, talk to me about what you've seen, if you've seen much of him, and then as well as Andy Isabella was a second-round pick 
They had traded away Josh Rosen to Miami. They used that pick on Isabella. He gave them next to nothing a year ago, looked overwhelmed at times, and Kingsbury, quite frankly, didn't opt to play him. Uh, Is there any hope for the rest of the receiving core, or is this a core that the Cardinals will likely need to address uh, come the offseason of 2021? Um, I definitely do think it's a it's a receiver corpse they definitely most likely we need to address after 2021 like uh about like talking about larry Fitzgerald, like every season i keep thinking like okay this is the last year of his career like he's definitely done after the season he's definitely retiring and yet he like he just keeps going he like he like he's beating father time in the same way that tom brady uh did with new england and, and, and still is like as, as he's in tampa right now but um I don't know, like, like as as long as Fitzgerald like continues to play uh, like at a solid level, like that, like that's that's going to be perfectly fine because Hop because Hopkins, you, you have the wide receiver one, you you have the transcendent talent wide receiver with a transcendent talent at quarterback. Um, with Christian Kirk, outside of that three touchdown game, I, I haven't really seen too much to like to to prove that that like like hey, this could be a guy that can contribute long term. And uh, he's definitely going to have to progress a lot in year three, whether that be 2020 or 2021, depending on this pandemic. But um, moving, moving to Andy Isabella, I actually haven't had to get, had a good look at him, but, but like that, like that's because um, from from the tape I saw from him coming out of college, uh, I, I wasn't able to see uh, too much of a of route replays because those were cut off in all the videos I saw of him, and of course is is limited action in the league. But, like, he like he he does he's definitely had flashes like most notably that touchdown against the 49ers on Thursday night football. But uh out like outside of that, he's a pretty raw, pretty inexperienced like player as as you guys, we all and, and Cliff know. And then and then, and then uh, speaking of rookie quarterbacks, I mean sorry, rookie wide receivers, uh Hakeem Butler, who was the fourth round pick, like I I, I honestly didn't expect him to follow the fourth pick fourth round. I don't think anyone expected them to either and what what i found like really interesting like really shocking is like if he wasn't put on an injury injury reserve uh at, like before the start of the season there was a good chance that he would have been cut by the cardinals which which was which is which is like insane considering a lot of people like had him as a first round talent uh co- coming into the 2018 draft so um uh, but Butler Butler is a guy that if he shows like any progress, if, like if he's able to like stay healthy and and like maybe make an impact in the, in the pass game, that's definitely going to boost that receiving course. So I like I like at, at the at the end, I think there's a mixture of hope outside of Hopkins on this receiving corps. But at the same time, I would probably bet that they address it in the offseason. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting because that was a lot of the things that came back from. Uh, the last couple of seasons was just how Christian Kirk, uh, originally John and I were hoping that he was going to be more of a, a Golden Tate type receiver at least as far as for that, just has not been able to show at least whether it's been the hands or just I guess the inconsistency at times seems to be the best story. Uh, we've never also though on that side, never gotten to see him truly play out of the slot, which is probably his best role because the Cardinals have had no outside wide receivers it feels like since uh, 2016 after Michael Floyd was cut and then John Brown, their deep threat, just had multiple health issues to the point where uh, the team let him go and he is a, a sickle cell trait that did not work really well in the desert and probably kept him sick for a lot longer unfortunately uh, with Kirk it, it's going to be very interesting to see him as kind of getting the second wide receiver on the outside 
um, or if the team will try to shift him into the slot a little bit more. Um, and like you said about with Isabella, the hands and the body catching and being a little lengthy in his route running. Uh, the comparison that I've found interesting that has a little bit of hope for him is how Kingsbury's always compared him to a Wes Welker, Julian Edelman type, and neither of those guys really did anything in the NFL uh, up until about year three or even year four, I believe it was, for uh, Edelman. Um, but I think that what you're talking about essentially with the Cardinals, with the lack of finding a guy who could be consistent enough with Hakeem Butler, um, just not basically measuring up to uh, being able to beat the one-on-one coverage outside, being able to get as much separation, uh, not really having as much route development. And then Keyshawn Johnson, who, on the other hand, had the routes, but uh, when looking at some of the statistics earlier in the season, I noticed that Kyler looked like he had a great throw chart across the field, except for on the right-hand side, which is where Keyshawn lined up. They ended up swapping him out with Demir Bird, getting a deep threat who was able to take a little bit off of the top and move safety safety back. And that seemed to kind of be where their offense took off a lot more against uh, the Atlanta Falcons. So I agree with you. It's going to be interesting if any of them do take a step forward. I think that it will help the Cardinals. Um, but for right now, it's like John and I have talked about, like it's they finally got their number one to replace uh, Larry Fitzgerald, but they're kind of going to be potentially right back in the spot of as soon as Fitzgerald retires, you're going to be trying to find that number two, whoever it is, um, back after him. So, uh, Johnny V, did you have any other at least questions about what the overall fit? I, I know that it's really difficult to try to figure out exactly what the Cardinals are going to be. There's a lot of faith right now, it seems like, being placed in a guy like Kenyon Drake to help carry some of the load, and Cliff Kingsbury as a play caller. Uh, but did you have any other questions as far as like the overall offensive uh, output or other expectations we can have uh, for Johnny K? Yeah, I, I would just think, and John, I'd be interested to hear your opinion on it. You know, they're a team that's, that's returning a lot of starters offensively. I think everybody but Hopkins was on this offense a year ago in combination with Kingsbury's scheme in year two I mean do you think that that will have a positive effect on this this group do you think this a better question do you think this can be a top 10 scoring offense in 2020 I think it can be a top 10 scoring offense and the reason I think that is obviously uh Hopkins and the continued improvement hypothetical but probably likely continued improvement of Kyler Murray as a quarterback with uh, a top receiver and a top quarterback, even even with uh, an absolutely like below average offensive line and may, maybe less than stellar surrounding cast of receivers outside of Hopkins, um, with a transcendent talent, a wide receiver, transcendent talent, a quarterback that could produce MVP numbers one day in his career, I think uh, I like I, th- I think it's perfectly reasonable to to predict that they could be a top ten passing offense, top ten scoring offense, even. Yeah, it's a, it'll be interesting to see if the Cardinals will be able to uh, live up to a lot of the uh, expectations. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the crazy impact that the coronavirus is potentially going to have. But before we get into that, I did want to talk about uh, another quarterback who's number one. We uh, didn't get a chance to talk about it on our last podcast because it happened the very next morning. Uh, Cam Newton. The longtime Carolina Panthers quarterback signs with the New England Patriots on a one-year deal. And Newton was probably one of the most impressive quarterback prospects, I think, up to this time. The the comparison that you had for a Lamar Jackson coming out was probably Cam Newton is seeing is what his upside could be, whereas Kyler, a lot of people pointed at Russell Wilson as far as yeah. the size goes. Yeah. What do you think as far as for with that fit for Cam? Because for me, I feel like that in terms of a play-action offense, what all that they really are going to do and 
New England has run a very similar offense that they had to Carolina, which had a lot of running back plays, being able to uh, use some of the field stretchers. Only now they're going to be able to mix in some of the Tim Tebow playbook that we saw Josh McDaniels have from his time in uh, uh, at least the first season in Denver, which included a a 40-yard rushing touchdown that a lot of people excited. And then McDaniels gets moved out. Tebow mania happens at 8-8 the next year, and that's kind of about it. What do you think as far as adding that mobility to a team like the New England Patriots? And what are your thoughts on Cam Newton's health and the risk that comes along with that? Well, I think there's three things I, I think a lot of people miss when discussing Cam Newton's fit in New England. Is one, yes, you can trash talk and celebrate a lot, but there's a video, like like I, I recently saw a video that's shown Bill Belichick wants that of his players. Two, he's 2-0 against the Patriots, and more importantly, three, Belichick has never been about guys fitting his system, but his system fitting his players. And that's what, that like, bringing it back to the Cardinals, that's what Kingsbury has done with Murray, combining screens or vertical passing to make it a little easier on him as a rookie. And with Belichick, he, like, he has shown to adjust his offenses in, like, in games where, like, they've missed their top receivers or Tom Brady wasn't available. And with Cam, he is a quarterback with a much more expansive skill set at full health. And granted, it's been four years since the last time Cam was fully healthy in a season. And even though... Like, I think it's a long shot that he'll be in his prime in 2020. He's in New England at a low price, so I'm, I'm going to run with it anyway. Belichick can give Cam, as we mentioned, design runs, throwing a more vertical passing scheme that was similar to, uh, from, from my way of thinking, of the, the 2017 Patriots offense when he lost Julian Edelman for the year with the 20 CL. That was pretty safety net. And as a result, Belichick uh, installed a much more vertical passing scheme with Brandon Cooks and company around. And also throw in uh, the motion concepts similar to the 2010s Panthers team. So I think in terms of fit, it's about Belichick surrounding his scheme or like surrounding the scheme around Newton and not the other way around like a lot of people seem to be thinking. Of course, Newton has to be healthy for this to work, but he's with the best coach of all time. So it's not impossible in my opinion. So you recently posted, I think it was yesterday, your top five quarterbacks in the NFL most of the names shouldn't shock anybody Watson Lamar Wilson Mahomes and then you threw Cam in there so uh, I I my guess is or my my question is if those are your top five and you said Kyler jokingly was was number zero on that list so we can skip over (laughs) Kyler for now but who are some of those fringe quarterbacks that you like that maybe aren't top five consistent you know uh, graded highly, but but could be you know outside of your top five or maybe top seven that that we should keep an eye on or that people undervalue. I think in that in that respect, um, obviously we obviously you've got guys like Rogers, Breeze, and Brady that are getting older, like maybe at the tail end of their careers. Though with Brady, you never know at this point. Uh, the, like those guys are definitely in like at the very least the bottom half of the top ten. Uh, also, also guys uh, from the NFC East like Dak and Wentz, who have like have definitely gotten a lot of criticism from a lot of a lot of people, probably because they play in the NFC East. But uh, I th- I, th- I think both have gotten like unfairly criticized. Both are pretty talented players, and I th- I, th- I think at this point, like both are like like probably in the same like tier of players at this point of of their careers. It's just, it's just like I like I I, don't, I I really don't know who I would take like from those guys and i did mention rogers i would i would have him a top five but i like like he like he didn't really look like the aaron Rodgers of old um in 2019 like i i obviously he only had Devonte adams throwing him the full 
like uh, uh, like he, that he was throwing to. And he's still going to have just Devontae Adams because they didn't improve that wide receiver room at all, which is absolutely incredible. I'm, yeah, Rodgers is going to be absolutely happy with that receiving room. I have no doubts about that. But um, in, in, in regards, like, I, I think like he's shown like a bit of a decline, like in addition to guys like Breeze and Brady, like are getting a little older. And that's why I'm not really as easy with him. On the other hand, with a guy like Cam, obviously he hasn't really done a whole lot uh, because he's been injured. But I think the Patriots do give him like the best shot to revive his career. And um, like, and I, I don't know, like, like, like perhaps he could be a top five quarterback in my opinion, ba- like based on that signing. But the, like, but those guys, Rogers, Breeze, Dak, Wentz, and like, like, probably more surprising one, like a guy like Matthew Stafford, who, like, like he's he's been a really polarizing uh, quarterback, but but I thought he looked excellent in the first half of 2019. The Lions were like. Three, four, and one. Like, like even in those games, like, they, like they were still terrible around it. They were still losing all these close games. But he was playing really well, playing really efficiently in a more vertical passing scheme. And I don't, like, I don't know with with uh, Darrell Beevil, uh, however you pronounce his last name. I like, I think he could still be like, like, like a like a fringe top ten quarterback. But essentially, those are kind of the guys that I think um, could be top ten quarterbacks going into twenty twenty or twenty twenty one season. Yeah, it was interesting where you were like saying, I, I think no one seems to accept that Deshaun Watson like really is in the top five. And I yeah. think part of that is unfortunately the Bill O'Brien effect. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you still have some of those older quarterbacks like Breeze and Brady hanging around. But um, I did uh, just kind of at least let you know you're not alone. Watson is still, as far as for collegiate rankings, the number one quarterback prospect that I have scouted from 2016 on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was just because of looking at the performances that he did against the teams in the nation, the Alabama carrying essentially is uh, the offense to a lot of those. And uh, what was funny about that was I uh, telling John at the time, we're like, yeah, John, like, um, I know I, uh, had, we were all talking about him passing on Mahomes and how terrible of a mistake that was. I was like, well, my uh, info still has Deshaun ranked as high here for one reason or another. Obviously, Mahomes, at least, is the guy who signs that type of giant contract that you're talking about where uh, Kansas City essentially is going to be locked in. Mahomes still has room to be able to renegotiate a new contract uh, immediately that kind of had us talking a little bit about well all right what's what's going to be the case for if Kyler Murray at least continues to um, progress forward uh, lives up to the lofty expectations that are being placed on him he's gonna have to get paid at some point too uh, do you think that as far as with contract negotiations go um, what kind of level does a quarterback need to get to before we decide to say hey we need to pay him uh, this dollar amount, what the what this player is worth, because a lot of people I think want to argue over how much a Dak Prescott gets paid, how much you know uh, the Jared Goff contract is that hampering teams from. What's some of your take on what it should be as far as with quarterbacks, especially if it comes to uh, the guys who are probably looking more like the cream of the crop in the top ten or even the top five? I think it's all about having the kind of rookie season that guys like uh like Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray had where like like they're they're immediate impact players and, and like they they can immediately take over a game and start carrying a team like even if that team isn't really all that good 
like in like because in that sense like like they're obviously closer to figuring out than guys that are a little raw or need to like sit a little bit of course like the obvious exception is Mahomes who sat like like most like virtually all of his rookie season and then like in his true rookie season became the MVP and threw like 50 touchdowns over 5,000 yards but for for guys like that like it's it's I, I think Kyler Murray is closer to figuring it out and like closer to getting like a massive, massive payday than guys like Daniel Jones and certainly Dwayne Haskins in that regard, because he, because I think he's figured it out. And I think he's figured out how to like adjust to pressure at the NFL level in comparison to some of, uh, some of his peers from the 2019 class. So I think, it's, so really in that regard, it's playing really well under pressure uh, be, like being able to throw into tight windows, being able to process um, blitzes, being able to adjust coverage, ver- like um, and and really just being able to play like at a very decent level, like like uh, serviceable level at, at the very least in your rookie season, and then going from there, like going like at least above average to good, like e- like even great as as Lamar and Mahomes have shown in their second seasons in that regard. Let's switch gears to another NFC West quarterback just real quick. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, a lot of people were uh, were thought to have basically had him be carried by a, a strong San Francisco roster and a, a top 10, maybe a top five head coach in Kyle Shanahan. Quickly, give me your honest take on Garoppolo, what you think their ceiling is, and do you think that over the course of the next year or so, either teams will begin to figure him out, or do you think he's got a chance to evolve into a seven to ten year starter for the Niners? I think Garoppolo is is the kind of quarterback that doesn't really have a very impressive skill set and definitely can be carried by his offense. We saw that a bit in the playoffs and when he had a bigger role in the Super Bowl, like he clearly wasn't really up to the task, aka that uh, that missed touchdown throw to Emmanuel Sanders late in the fourth quarter. But at the same time, he's definitely better than guys like Brian Hoyer and CJ Beathard um, have, have, have shown. And that, like that, that was clear in uh, the 2018 season where he missed like 13 games due to a torn ACL and uh, they went four and 12 without him. He's definitely not great, but he was playing competent enough where he wasn't making too many mistakes he was he, he was able to execute Shannon's offense like at a pretty at a pretty serviceable decent level, and he was able to not miss so many throws that to to the length that uh, his uh, his backups were doing. Um, but at, at at the same time, like I I do think that like 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 maybe he's like there's a little more little more pressure like over him because. Um, the the receiving corpse is still quite young and like he could be figured out like I don't really know like I like I don't think he's going to be absolutely abysmal but I like I don't think he's going to be sensational either and in regards to uh, the 49ers team around him um, I still think it's a loaded team one that ended up suffering two heart attacks in three weeks by playing the Cardinals twice last year and that's essentially what happens when Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury run an offense and. Now just imagine the odds with Hopkins. And really, that 49ers offense has Garoppolo surrounded by George Kittle, who's the be- clearly the best tight end in football, Tevin Coleman, Jarek McKinnon, Debo Samuel, who had a really good rookie season, Brandon Ayuk, who is kind of like Debo Samuel, slightly younger version of Debo Samuel, uh, Kyle Juszczyk, maybe the best fullback in football, and actually a really, 
versatile player, like on his own. Um, and of course, a great offensive line led by one of the best offensive minds and Kyle Shannon. So I, th- I think in terms of that, Garoppolo definitely has the supporting cast to continue uh, helping lead the 49ers to the playoffs. It's the, it's, it's like the question is if he can, like he can bring them back to a Super Bowl because it's, it's a little uncertain, especially with, uh, um, some some of the teams like the Saints and, and like like hell the Buccaneers, um, p- potentially challenging them. Definitely agree there. It's going to be interesting because the losing a first round talent like a Brent like I think it was um, a DeForest Buckner to the Colts, being able to still keep a lot of the guys that were intact, being able to replace you got two guys now in Ayuk who's replacing Emmanuel Sanders and uh, I believe it was, was it Javon Hargrave. No no not Hargrave. Um, I'll have to remember at least for the uh, other name because it always escapes me at the worst time usually. I, know, I think it starts with the Kinlaw. That's who it is. Uh, Kinlaw is – so you got two rookies replacing two valuable parts on your team. Uh, it's very difficult, as we've seen, for teams to get back there the following year. It just kind of goes to show that the Rams didn't really seem to have as much that they did outside of trying to kind of remake their ground game after letting Todd Gurley walk. Uh, the Hawks just kind of keep doing whatever it is they do. Somehow, Russ seems to keep carrying them year after year. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see because, like you pointed out, the uh, Garoppolo threw for, I think it was, um, I got the stats here, 317 yards and four touchdowns and 424 yards and four touchdowns. And that Cardinals defense last year was just an absolute sieve uh, as far as being able to allow so much production, not just to the tight ends, but just overall, um, even if they did have a strong first half, teams would come out throwing in the second half and be like, oh, wow, okay, Cardinals were beating the Niners, and now now they're behind. This this is great. Uh, do you think at least as far as with the, the, how high of a ceiling do the Cardinals have? Is it going to be something where we can be talking about them as a kind of come out of nowhere team, like how people viewed the Ravens last year, kind of overtaking the Steelers for the division, passing up on the Browns who kind of disappointed? Or are we going to be talking about the Cardinals maybe be more of still having to need another year to get there with uh, maybe there's offensive line limitations maybe they're just not developing enough talent on defense quickly enough Um, you know there's plenty to be said about questions that the coordinator on the defensive side Vance Joseph will face regardless uh, as well as Patrick Peterson but what do you think as far as for projecting for this team is realistic for that one because John and I have gone back and forth and we're trying to kind of temper expectations to kind of about if you can aim for nine or ten wins being able to check off that box what are some of your thoughts on how they may stack up in the division and also as far as the Niners too at this point I think they're closer to being a wild card team than they are a divisional team and that's that's really because of um the the challenge that the rest of the NFC West provides them like like even the Rams offense like they like they were kind of held back because Jared Goff wasn't really able to operate under pressure, and they like they were still nine to seven, and were like maybe like maybe a missed field goal against the Seahawks away from like not only a ten six season, but but maybe getting back to the playoffs. In regards to uh, if they if they can get like ten wins, like I think it's definitely possible, and I think like like obviously like to get there, like we got to like talk about the rest of the defenses Rams defense clearly has the best defensive player in football and Aaron Donald, but it's not really that impressive of a defense either. So I, th- I, I like, I think with improvement from Murray, he's like, they're like, you're definitely going to be uh, like, I, I think like at very least they're going to split the series with that with the Seahawks. It like, 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 it, like it, it really doesn't, it really doesn't, 
it really doesn't matter what like what the like the Cardinals do. Like every time they play the Seahawks, they lose at home to the Seahawks, and then they win on the road against them. It's 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 honestly like the most insane thing I've seen from like any division rivalry. It's 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 like it's like it's like a team goes on the road and that's immediate home field advantage for them. So um, in regards to Seahawks, like like they virtually don't really have much of a defense at all. So I don't really I don't I don't see like any problem with uh, the Cardinals putting up points against them. The 49ers are obviously the big challenge. That defense should still be really good, but. Here's why I think the Cardinals can benefit against the 49ers. As we mentioned, the loss of Buckner should hurt for a bit, even with the potential of Javon Kinlaw. If Richard Sherman regresses, uh, that secondary is going to get hit hard. Plus, it's very rare outside of the Legion of Boom Seahawks to have top two defenses for like back-to-back years, and they had those for a few or four years from like 2013, 2012, 2015. Um yeah, it's just like just like right like right now, I think the 49ers could have an edge over the rest of the NFC West, but I think the Cardinals have been like extremely competitive in those two games last year with a rookie quarterback, a rookie head coach, and a rookie offensive line, essentially. But and like as I said, like they've been extremely competitive in those two games, so it wouldn't shock me if they split the series and the next time football happens, and they, like it really wouldn't shock me if the they uh came to 10 wins because they have the quarterback. They have the, uh, they have enough of an offense and an offensive scheme to be able to be able to threaten the rest of the NFC West. And then like they were able to show like flashes to that last year. That's some good stuff. It'll be interesting to see how they'll stack up uh, against the teams because, uh, again, the Cardinals and Seahawks has been a strange fight back and forth every single year, like you said. Uh, last year, without Jimmy Garoppolo, and that's kind of the biggest credit I think you give to the guy is, you know, you can maybe argue he's got a lot of talent around him, Kyle Shanahan calling plays, uh, but ultimately he still is making those throws, and up until I think the Super Bowl, for the most part, he was probably having one of the better quarterback seasons in the National Football League. It'll be interesting to see exactly how he'll be able to follow up on as well as how Kyler Murray will be able to follow up on um, in his second year for all of that Uh, as we kind of wrap up at least the last point uh, just talk a little bit at least about is there some of the changes that we're starting to see in football it's like we're trying to be as realistic as we can I, I think it's really hard to be able to picture the NFL just not happening considering the you know how our contract's going to be told what about other different rights there's so much that goes into it as far as for all of that what do you think that we're facing right now as far as the climb to get towards this football season where we'll at least be able to have uh, maybe not fans in the stands maybe it's going to end up having a lot of differences the NFL has been coming out with stuff even today they talked about how they're probably not going to have jersey swaps which some people found interesting as far as with distancing and college football on the other hand seems to be in a lot of doubt because of the massive undertaking that is what do you think as far as the steps that we need to be able to have that you would look for before you'd feel safe or confident to say hey yeah we can definitely pull a season off for this year ultimately this is probably not going to be a popular opinion but it, like it's, it's it's really just like postponing the season like like until we get a vaccine or until like the spring or whatever um i like i i did find like the jersey swapping thing like today very interesting because it's like okay like you're doing that for player safety in a sport where there's a lot of close contact players are getting tackled offensive lines and, pl- and running backs and quarterbacks are huddled right next to each other and yet like you're like like that like that that's that like that's supposed to be player safety I don't I don't really like like understand like the NFL's logic or motive here. It's it like it's it seems like really confusing in that regard. 
But um, I, 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 like, I do think like it should be postponed, but like it, it's it's not going to be like that right away. The F, the NFL is definitely going to try to get a season going. I just think with coaches and like, and, like certain players with like their immune systems getting compromised, and like with uh like it's, like certain coaches like, like like Romeo Cannell, like so many people have brought up like like Romeo Cannell is definitely up there in age. And like, like, I don't know, like, like he, like he could be at risk to get coronavirus. He could be at risk to, um, like, 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 like have a, like have a, a very comp- like compromised immune system. And that's kind of, that's kind of the fear that I have. Like, like, at, like, at, at some point, if, if, I don't know, I, like, I was, I was like 18, I would have been like, hell yeah, get football going. But I think like, like, like the older you get, like the more you realize that, I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't think there should really be a season with a pandemic this strong, and especially when, in like in 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 hot spots like Arizona and Florida, where that could only get worse with uh, a bunch of guys huddled together. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I definitely do hope that there's a season. Like, like by some miracle, if they somehow get a situation to work out, I would definitely be in favor of that. I just think it's just a massive long shot at this point. I and I would prefer like protecting the players instead of uh, compromising everything and, uh, like, putting it at risk for their season. Yeah, I think Blake and I were, you know, in the mindset, like most this past spring, that, you know, sure, they canceled the NCAA tournament. Those are, you know, collegiate athletes. And, yeah, they're delaying baseball. But, you know, Roger Goodell, let's give him a six-, seven-month head start. Maybe things will cool down. And now here we are sitting in almost mid-July and there's still so much of a, a period of unknown that yeah, I think we're right there with you where we're we you know we're cautiously optimistic that we're going to have something, but certainly not not football as we know it. Um, John, as we wrap it up here, uh, where can the users find uh, a lot of your content that Blake and I enjoy uh, reading up on from time to time? Well, I'm on Twitter at BrickWallBlitz, and I write for the Carolina Panthers at Riot Report. Um, R-R-I-O-T report. Um, I do dynasty football work for dynasty football at DL football. I write for the 49ers at 49ers hub. Um, I, and I also do work for the dolphins at the fin cider. That's fantastic, at least. And we'll be able to kind of wrap it up that, with that episode there. Uh, again, you can follow us on Twitter at ROTBpod, as well as being able to follow me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. You can follow John at JohnnyTouchdown as well. And uh, you can find all of our content there as well on RevengeOfTheBirds.com. Uh, thank you guys so much again for joining us, for all of you, the listeners who were able to tune in. Uh, we'll see you guys a bit later, and we're hoping for as awesome of a step forward for Kyler Murray as everyone else. We'll just see when it happens. Take care. Have a good one, everyone.